Hello, you're listening to Gavin Jennings. This is a special Morning Ireland Extra podcast in which we answer listeners' questions on COVID-19. Thank you for sending on your questions to coronavirus at rte.ie. Our panel of experts are standing by. Dr Nuda O'Connor is a Cork GP and the Irish College of General Practitioners lead advisor on COVID-19. Professor Mary Horgan is president of the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland and a consultant in infectious diseases at Cork University Hospital. And Kingston Mills is professor of experimental immunology at Trinity College Dublin. The first time I did one of these um, expert panels which was some weeks ago at the start of the coronavirus outbreak in Ireland we were all in studio so I suppose this does show you the difference this time that we are are all completely separated from each other this morning but we're very grateful to Nuala, Mary and Kingston for taking our questions. Nuala I'm going to come to you first if that's okay because there has been some confusion uh, in recent days in relation to testing because some of the, the rules for who gets a test have changed can you tell me what happened this week and what are people who were advised by their GP uh, that they were going to have a test but haven't been called for for one yet, what they're to do now? Yes, Gavin. I suppose the the criteria um, were actually narrowed. So from um, uh, Wednesday of uh, this week, uh, you needed to have uh, two major symptoms. So you need to have a fever and a respiratory symptom, such as a cough or shortness of breath. But you also need to belong to a priority group for testing. And the priority groups uh, would be uh, healthcare staff and a lot of patients in uh, vulnerable groups, a lot of patients with chronic diseases or residents in a long-term care facility or another area where there would be a potential for an outbreak. So um, obviously this has caused a, a lot of um, a confusion and a certain amount of concern because up until the end of uh, business on Tuesday as GPs, we were advised to uh, refer a much wider group of, of people for uh, testing. So we now have three groups of people. So if you have already had your test, you had a swab taken, you're going to receive those results. And you receive those results. If they're negative, you will get a text message. And if they're positive, you will get a phone call from a public health doctor. Now, that's an important thing to stress because a lot of people have been ringing their GPs. But actually, the first person to receive the test results is actually going to be you, the patient. And you're going to be contacted by a public health doctor because in this instance, um, the HSA have decided that the, the, it's the public health doctors need to be in contact with you as soon as possible so they can start this process of contact tracing. So that's one group of people who've actually had a swab taken. Then you have people who were given an appointment for a test. So if you've been given an appointment for a test for today, Thursday, then that test will go ahead and you should turn up. But actually, just late last night, we were informed by the HSE that those people who were given a test for Friday, so those people who, who were triaged by their doctor before Tuesday of this week, um, and who've been given a test for Friday, those tests are now actually being cancelled. Now, I'm not certain if the HC is going to text people individually or not. I was trying to find out that before we go on air. Um, the only tests that will go ahead on Friday are, are those for healthcare workers, or if people were advised yesterday under the new criteria that they should go for testing. And I, that's a very complicated message to give to people. Okay. Um, the third group then are people who did not receive any appointment for testing. 
Okay, yes. so if you, if if you had been talking to your GP before Tuesday, and your GP had referred you, but you hadn't got an appointment, then if you feel that you need these new criteria, and I'll just go through them again, so you have to have a fever and a respiratory symptoms such as a cough or shortness of breath, and you must also belong to the priority group. And the full priority group, if you go onto the HSC website, you'll actually be able to see quite clearly whether you belong to that. So if, if, you, if you think that you belong to that, that new group, or if you're not certain, you need to ring your GP, because if you are in that new group and you still have symptoms, you have to have a new referral done by your GP. Okay, so... And I know that there are lots of specific questions that people have and we're going to come to them throughout uh, the next half hour or so and after nine. One of the most common ones that we got were people who initially had called their GP when the criteria had changed. And this is some 10 days ago to say that they had developed a new cough. Uh, they rang their GP. The GP said, I'm going to order, uh, I'm going to put you forward now to be tested. Uh, they haven't received a call for a test. They're unlikely to now but their cough hasn't gone away, what should they do? Okay, well, uh, we know, uh, so th- those people could have uh, one of two things. They could have a mild form of uh, COVID-19. Um, so the first thing is that if they start to feel more unwell, in particular if they start to feel very short of breath, they need to contact their GP. Because they're, they're we don't know if they have a mild version of COVID-19 or probably more likely they have one of the other viruses that are, 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 are going wrong. We still have a lot of the, the normal viruses we would see at this time of year. So the advice for all of them is that they need to stay at home and self-isolate for 14 days. Um, after 14 days, uh, it, the vast majority of viral infections, including COVID-19, will have cleared up completely. Um, so they need to self-isolate. So self-isolate means that they stay essentially in in one room in the house as much as possible. Um, there's, again, there's very clear guidance. There's an information leaflet on it, but they stay in one room. They don't go out. They go out into the back garden if they wish. They need to minimise the mixing even with their own household contacts. And obviously, they should have no contact with anyone outside of the house. But then they're, the people who share the same house with them, their household contacts, they must also do what we call restricting their movements. Can, can so you explain rest- to us, Nuala, sorry, the, the difference yeah. between self-isolation and restricting movements? Yeah. Because, because yeah. there is a difference between the, the two in there terms is. of instructions, isn't that right? There is, absolutely. And I, I think the simplest way to think of it is that if you're self-isolating, so if you're the person that actually has the symptoms, so that you actually have the fever and the cough, or whatever, whatever type of symptoms, you need to more or less stay in your own room, in, in a room, preferably with a, a, a toilet office, So, um, and you need to mix as little as possible with anyone in the house. You need to be very careful, obviously, about the hand washing, disposing of tissues. Like There's a four-page leaflet about everything you need to do from dealing with um, laundry to, to, um, to waste. So that's worth reading, but essentially you're in your room. Then the people who are your household contacts are restricting their movements. So they can go around the house, they can mix with each other, obviously observing hand hygiene and cough etiquette, because they may become symptomatic over the next uh, 14 days. They can go out, but they need to be extremely careful about social distancing. They can go out for a walk or a cycle on themselves, but they should not mix with anyone outside of the house. No visitors should come to the house. 
Um, and ideally, if somebody else could do the groceries or they could order something online, um, that would be the ideal thing. And again, there is, an, there is a very comprehensive leaflet on the HSC website, and it's really important that everyone in the house reads both of those, the self-isolation leaflet instructions and the restricted activities instructions. So from now on, um, and again, you must remember, all of this is actually to try to... Um, stop the spread of this virus in our community. So anyone who has symptoms, so anyone who feels that they've got, you know, like normally in the winter, you feel, of course, I think I'm coming down with something, a bit of fever, a bit of chills, you know, maybe a runny nose, cough, sore throat, any type of respiratory symptoms, you must assume that you could have a mild form of COVID. So you need to isolate yourself to stop the spread of it to those in your own household and anyone outside in your circle or in the wider community. And you need to do that for 14 days. Mary Horgan, uh, Professor Mary Horgan, who we've spoken to on the programme before, I'm I'm not sure if you can answer this question, um, but but hope you can. We had a lot of people asking this about... um, the, the difference between isolation and restricted movements, particularly when people are living in a household together in close quarters... And I'll give you the example for, for when a child has developed symptoms, might be waiting upon a test, might not have had a test yet. It's very difficult for them to isolate themselves from the rest of the family uh, who, who may be worried that they're at risk or they're putting other people at risk if they can't completely isolate themselves from their... their, their it might often be a, a young child or indeed at the other end of the scale it might be an older vulnerable person who can't be left isolated and people are concerned that within houses either that they are spreading the infection they're at risk of spreading the infection or or how they're supposed to operate in those circumstances can you give any advice mary yes so um that that's a common concern and to follow on what nula said is trying to identify one person within the household so the mother of the child or the main carer of the elderly person, that they are seen as a unit um, together and that they self-isolate um, in tandem. As you said, it's very hard for you know a toddler, a young child. Thankfully, there aren't too many cases but, um, in young children. Uh, but that that's the best way of doing it. So that the the, the um, elderly uh, person or the child that there's an identified person within the household that links in with them and that they're the unit that need to self-isolate. Uh, Kingston, a very good morning to you and thank you for taking our call uh, this morning. morning. Um, we were talking actually to another um, professor in virology at Queen's University earlier in the programme who was talking about the concern now about the number of people who could spread the disease when they're asymptomatic. And a lot yeah. of people were asking... Were asking how they spread it if they're asymptomatic, is it still that they would need to cough or sneeze close to you or how are they spreading it? Yes, um, there have been a number of studies now that have, have shown that people can spread it when they're asymptomatic. So um, the incubation period of the virus is on average five days, but it can be anything from two to 14 days. So somebody can be infected and, and, and not show any symptoms, but they can at that stage transmit it, even though the, the virus load is not particularly high. Um, if, if and People cough all the time, even if they don't have uh, um, COVID-19 or, or, or other respiratory, um, just a tickle in their throat. So that, that's sends out an aerosol and those droplets, if the person is infected, can 
um, um, be infectious. And the other thing is that the, the, the virus is in saliva. So if you, if you get, um, um, if you put your hand to your mouth, um, and you're infected, even if it's asymptomatic, you can then put that on another surface and somebody else can touch it and get it, put it in their mouth. So it, those are the, the, the possible routes of transmission from asymptomatics. A, a question here, that this, this covers many of those, where somebody had asked, can you please explain shedding of the virus when not symptomatic? And I know you've addressed some of that there. Um, if you're not coughing or sneezing and no droplets, is it possible to shed by just breathing? I, I have a son with cystic fibrosis. We're being extra careful for his sake, but I don't know if everything we're doing is enough. No, breathing is not going to um, spread the virus. It's really by droplet. Um, the, by, by the, the most common route of transmission of all respiratory um, pathogens is, is by aerosol, by droplets when you, that you create when you cough and sneeze. So um, being in the same room as someone who's, whose breathing is not, is not going to transmit the virus. People asking who are out exercising at the moment, and although they're trying to keep their distance from people, for example, the, the presence of, of droplets in the air and how long they might be in the air, would if you passed by them, could you still catch them? I, I, we had a couple of questions from runners, for example, who were asking yeah. if they if they ran into suspended particles a few minutes later after passing somebody, could they catch it that way? Well, first of all, um, outdoor is a better place to be from the point of view of transmission than indoor because um, you know, the air is changing all the time. But um, there have been studies done that have looked indoor at the transmission and how long the virus remains in the air after someone coughs and sneezes. And it can remain for a couple of hours in the air but, um, um, uh, and indeed on surfaces. So if, if someone coughs onto um, a surface, there have been studies that show that it can remain on, on, on plastic and, and stainless steel for up to two days, which is unusual for viruses because most viruses die very quickly outside the body. Um, mind you, the, the amount of, of virus that is surviving is tiny. So the risks of transmission um, through that route are very, very small. Um, the major risk is um, immediately breathing in a um, uh, droplets from someone has sneezed and coughed in your vicinity. So that's, that's, the, that's the biggest risk. The, the, the risks are outrunning with somebody, that's infinitesimally small, really, it is. Kingston, lots of people asking questions uh, about how long the virus can last on surfaces, um, even as our movements become more restricted. For example, one of the, the last... Uh, the last measures that people are being allowed to do in Spain and Italy is to go out and shop, for example, for, for, for groceries, for pharmacies. When people bring their groceries home, should they be cleaned? Uh, can the virus last on those groceries? Uh, this is a very good question. It's one that you know I've been debating myself um, when when, we, when my, my wife and I go shopping. But um, I think again it comes back to the, the it's to do with the, the the extent of the risk. I think the extent of the risk of picking up something from shopping is very very small. I mean even seen our local um, bakery, they they handle everything with tongs or gloves. And I think if you're sensible and perhaps use gloves, that that, that if you are going um, shopping and then either dispose them as they're disposable or, or take them off and but importantly, very importantly, wash your hands. Um, people have said maybe they should wash the, um, the, um, the, the wrappings on them. I mean, my advice would be use your gloves, take off the wrapping, dispose of them, and then everything should be fine. But quite, quite frankly, these are, these are small risks compared with the risks of being in contact with someone that's, infection, that, that's infectious. So that, that's a far, far more important message to get across. And it comes back to what um, Nula and Mary were saying, you know, it really is about distancing yourself from potential 
people that are people that are potentially infected, rather than worrying about picking it up from from shopping and um, from you know outdoor activity where the risks are, are so much smaller than they are picking it up from somebody who's infected. Mary Horgan, a question here: If you've had the virus and recovered but hadn't been tested, would you know if you had the virus if you were tested at some stage? Can can you get it more than once? Um, a really good question. Um, the evidence from China suggests that once you've had it, you do not get reinfected, uh, which is which is good news. Now we don't know how long that immunity or protection lasts. Um, the there is a test that's different from the test that we're doing now. Um, it's looking for antibodies that the body produces against the virus. So those tests will be more widely available. So you can check people's blood to see if they have developed the antibody and that it's there. But I would caution that we do need more information on the robustness of the immunity after getting an infection. Because in order to bring life back to any level of normality, we are going to need people who have recovered to be available to work, for example, particularly in the healthcare sector. Absolutely. And these new tests, these antibody tests, will be really crucial for our frontline um, doctors, our trainees, our consultants, our nurses, to see if they're immune um, to the virus. And I have no doubt in the coming weeks that that antibody test will be more available to those frontline staff who are particularly at risk um, of of, um, getting infection. And we absolutely need to protect those frontline staff. And just to add that the social distancing measures that us as the public and the people of Ireland are doing have been hugely welcomed by, by the frontline staff. Nuala, I'm going to come back to you. For anybody who does get a call today, tomorrow or over the next few days to be told that the test that they have taken is positive, can you take me through what's going to happen to them after that? Okay. If the test is positive, uh, they will get a phone call, obviously, be by a public health doctor, not their GP, uh, because the important thing then is that they start this process, which is called contact tracing. So uh, you all... Oh, the, the, the person with the symptoms who now has been diagnosed as positive will have been self-isolating and uh, the members of their household will have been practicing the restricted movements we were talking about earlier. So what happens then is uh, the public health doctors will try to cast that net a little bit wider and they'll be looking at people whom that, um, uh, the, the, the person who has COVID was in contact with over the previous couple of weeks and they may be contacting them just to make, check if they have any symptoms and advising all of them to practice restricted movements or self-isolating, depending on the case. And one of the positive things uh, that has come out, and you may have heard uh, uh, Dr Tony Holland talk about this last night, is that it would appear that the um, in the public are already uh, substantially cooperating with social distancing because normally when they do this contact tracing, they would expect to identify about 15 close contacts. But in actual fact, it's down to about five on average now. So that's really good evidence that the, 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 the public of Ireland are actually um, complying with social distancing, which essentially is one of the most important things, it is the most important thing probably that we can do now. Um, all that talk with Kingston earlier about, you know, the, the, the potentials of getting virus from um, the shopping and all out running and everything like that. When you think about it, 
you know, if we keep two metres away from everyone else, well, that, you know, that cuts out the vast majority of that, as well as keeping our hands clean. So, for example, uh, Nuala, or Mary, actually, you might be able to take this question. And, and, and people, if they are, are told that they're positive, might be embarrassed or concerned about the people who will be contacted after that to say that they were in contact with somebody who had a positive test. I mean, if, if they had been talking at a two-metre distance to their neighbour within the last few days, are they going to be classified as a close contact? Uh, yes, they would be uh, classified as co- close contact. First of all, it's really important that nobody should be embarrassed about having um, tested positive for COVID-19. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to me as a doctor. It can happen to my mother or my sister. Um, so don't be embarrassed. This is part of what we're uh, trying to deal with now. So what we- would happen is that the person in question gets, um, who's positive, gets a phone call from the public health doctors. They just will get a description of the people that they've been in contact with. And the public health doctors who are specialists in this area will make a determination of whether that contact was significant or not. Again, to reassure that most people who are positive um, and have the infection have a mild illness. Um, so even if you get a contact and you subsequently are tested positive as a contact, your likelihood of having a severe illness is low. It, it's those vulnerable populations that we really need to protect. So don't be embarrassed. This is the best way. It's test, 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 contact trace, and then isolate those who are positive. A question for Kingston. Uh, Somebody had texted us in, or rather emailed us in, to say that they read that there are two different phases to the COVID-19 virus. The first one, which most people get, lasts seven days, but the second phase starts on day six and lasts for three weeks, and one in seven can get this. Is, Is this true? Um, I don't. I think that's a bit of um, a folklore. I mean, there's no doubt that there is a there's, a, there's an incubation period where people are, are, not, are not yet showing symptoms. But um, once people start showing symptoms, they, they, they sort of don't recover and get worse again. If that's what you, the, the, the listener is suggesting, possibly um, yes. So th- no, I, I don't think that's the case, but um, and uh, maybe the medics can can um, comment on that. But my understanding of it is that it, no, uh, it, that that there's no sort of uh, recovery and then remission. Um, uh, it's 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 recovery and then you get better. You know, so so it's not. And uh, as as was said earlier, you know that, that once you recover, you're unlikely to get reinfected because of the antibodies that are generated, and we don't know yet whether those will be long lived or or, or or not. And that's that's going to be a big issue when it comes to, to vaccination. I, I can yes, comment on that. Um, um, so what, the, the virus is very new. It's only four months old and we're still learning about what, how it affects the, the human. In a small minority of patients, about seven to ten days into their infection, some of them can start getting more um, problems, more difficulty in breathing. Now, this is a minority um, of patients. And that's why if you test positive, you maintain a, um, contact with your GP uh, by phone, your GP checks on you, so that if there are any worsening of your breathing conditions a week or so into having the infection, that it's very, very important that you bring that 
to the attention of your general practitioner by phone who will make the appropriate referral into the hospital if they deem that fit. Lots of the questions that we got, as you can imagine, are, are, are quite specific to people's lives. Uh, one lady asking here, my, my daughter is expecting her first baby in the next two weeks. Is it safe for me to go to her home and help her after her baby is born? I'm concerned about the baby, not myself. I'm not infected. Um, maybe I might take that one, Gavin. Please. I mean, obviously, uh, newborn babies uh, are are a, a, a group that we're all, you know, apart at all from when COVID is around, we have to be very careful about them because, uh, you know, they don't have uh, robust immune systems yet. Um, so if, if somebody doesn't have any symptoms um, and if they're extremely careful about the hand hygiene, um, very careful about cough etiquette, if they have any signs that they're coughing or sneezing, even uh, if if they 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 don't feel that they that they have COVID, they should stay away from the baby. But if you're feeling perfectly well, and if you're very scrupulous about your hand hygiene, then there is no problem in assisting um, a, a somebody with their newborn baby. But it really, ideally, it should be that you know somebody who is in in close contact. You know, household contacts are probably the best. Keeping the sort of the the one unit together, minimising. Uh, contact with uh, uh, people from outside the home with a new baby. So there shouldn't be a whole raft of visitors coming and normally when you have a new baby, everyone descends on the house. So that definitely should not happen. Uh, but, you know, if there's a specific one person, maybe a mom going to help her with her with her new grandchild, if they're well, but you really have to keep it very, very tight as to who has contact with that new baby. Lots of people asking this question because the criteria for, for, for testing or case definition, as it's referred to, has changed this week. People asking if they now have a, if they develop a cough or head cold symptoms, no temperature or aches and pains, should they still contact their GP now? Well, they should only contact their GP um, if they felt there's something that they needed advice on. You know, a... They, the, 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 the general advice is they need to um, self-isolate themselves and their, their household contacts need to practice restricted movements because they could have a mild form of COVID. We don't know. It's still probably more likely to have one of the normal viruses that are around. So in the normal course of events, if you had a head cold, you know, you know what to do yourself. You, you take some time out, you rest, you take fluids, you put paracetamol, and you're going to get better by yourself. So if this is something that the symptoms you have, well, I normally wouldn't actually be getting on to my GP, then there's no need. I mean, the GPs are obviously very busy at the moment, but you still need to do the self-isolation and your household contents need their, their restriction. But if you are concerned or worried, or particularly if you have an underlying um, condition, so if you have asthma, if you have um, a COPD, if you have new start development symptoms you may want to run through that with your GP my wife and I are in our 70s we're both healthy we live alone and a son who lives elsewhere shops for us we're content at home and we get exercise should we two distance ourselves from each other in the house uh, no is the answer to that. You're already household contacts. It's only if, if one person became very um, uh, symptomatic. But again, you may have a situation there, as Mary was talking, we were talking about earlier, it may be that one of, of uh, you know, one person in the house is, is acting as the carer for the other person in the house. So, so they're a unit. So the household, a household is a kind of a unit itself. Um, and they're already... Um, a, in such close contact with each other, as long as they practice very good hand hygiene and cough etiquette, that minimises their risk of passing an infection on to each other. 
Kingston, I think you might have addressed this earlier on when we were talking about groceries. I've been told by my family that I should not be buying the daily newspaper due to the risk of contracting coronavirus. Please tell me if it's safe for me to buy the daily newspaper. I think it's safe to buy the daily newspaper. I, I think, you know, the, 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 there have been suggestions that the virus can survive on cardboard, for example, for for some time. But, the, 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 you know, it, the, the levels drop off very quickly on, on surfaces outside the body. So I, I, I don't think there's a risk in, in buying the daily newspaper. If you're really worried, spray it with some household um, uh, um, cleaner. I mean, the household cleaners have that are chlorine-based and that have detergents in them are very effective at killing Doesn't the virus. Make it read the paper though <laughs> I think it's hard to read the paper but sure yeah, well, the, the other the other thing Gavin there is just think about it I think people sometimes need to stand back and think about how you get this virus you get this virus because somebody coughs in your face yes uh, within three feet of you or you put the virus on you get the virus onto your hands from whatever surface and you put your hands up to your face and it gets into your nose your eyes and your mouth so if you keep your hands clean and away from your face, you're not going to pick up the virus from anything. I think it's sensible advice. Mary, we've had a, a couple, quite a number of questions from people who are relatives of healthcare workers. Just to give you an example, I am in the risk age and I have well-controlled asthma, but my daughter is a nurse on the front line and a real threat to me. We are adhering to guidelines. She wants to move out to an apartment to protect me. Is this the best decision? Uh, again, a really good question and a very challenging question because, as we know, uh, one in five of those tested positive are healthcare workers. And we have this uh, frontline nurse coming back to a household where there is somebody more at risk in a vulnerable group. And that's why, I suppose, answering the question a little indirectly, is that we need to concentrate a lot of our testing on frontline staff like this nurse. If she's negative, then she's in a good position to come back into the household. What might help in that situation is that she is in her room with her own um, toilet facilities and is able to socially restrict her interaction with um, her mother, who's uh, this lady who asked the question, who's more at risk. In in some countries, in China, they um, moved uh, the healthcare, the frontline uh, staff, into um, hostels and hotels so that they were all cohorted together. I don't think we need to do that at this time. I think the the, uh, nurse who comes home from her frontline job goes into a room, has her shower, um, washes, follows all the precautions. And, of course, if she's any symptoms, she she self-restricts. But it is a really good question. My 96-year-old mother has five carers 24-7. Some use public transport, obviously all with families, and some are also caring for other elderly people. Is this safe? I'm in isolation and also have asthma. What can we do? There, there are many, many difficult situations that um, the our public are, are involved in. This 96-year-old lady obviously needs um, care, and she needs a lot of care, as outlined by five carers the whole day. But uh, in that instance, it's once the carers are aware of their responsibility when it comes to hand-washing, cleaning the surfaces uh, within the um, household as part of their job, and a, a lot of this, again, is on the HSE website, 
that that's what needs to be done. This lady needs care. And at the moment, um, the only way of caring for her is by the five carers that come in. So really um, speaking with the carers, making sure that they know what the um, hand washing, surface cleaning and so on um, need to be done. Once they come into the house and uh, particularly when when um, they're uh, caring for, for this elderly lady. Kingston, if anti-malaria tablets have been shown to work in China and France, is there a stock in Ireland if asked for by patients, family as a measure against coronavirus? Okay, this is very controversial because um, even um, President Trump um, said that chloroquine was a good drug against um, COVID-19. This is not this has not been proven. Um, there was a very small study done in France that suggested that there might be some efficacy in a very small number of people. The study in China, in fact, showed that there was no efficacy with chloroquine. So um, this is still very much um, for debate as to whether it has any benefit. There are much better potentially better drugs coming along, which are specific antiviral drugs that were designed to um, stop replication of viruses, and these are in phase three testing. So I think the hope is much greater on those than it is with chloroquine. Uh, we got questions and about... Uh, sorry, Mary, go ahead. Sorry, Gavin. I, I just I wanted to just, if I could, comment about um, the, the drugs there because there has Please. been a, a lot of extremely unhelpful... Um, stories going around on social media and in fact myself and Mary only uh, I, I sort of put one to bed there about, about seven or eight days ago about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories such as you know Nurofen um, and, and over, over the counter um, uh, remedies and both the um, the HSE medications uh, uh, safety and the ICGP and uh, the Royal College of Physicians, we're all putting out advisories to our members uh, and helping to advise the public. So just to knock a few of those on the head, um, uh, if you're dealing with paracetamol, so if, you've got, if you have symptoms and you have a fever or aches and pains, we're advising that paracetamol is, is the first, so you can take paracetamol on adults up to two, four times a day. But Particularly for is, a temperature, yes. Yeah, so there is no evidence that um, non-steroidal inflammatories such as ibuprofen, which is over-the-counter neurofen, uh, cause any harm in, in otherwise healthy patients. If you're on these types of drugs for a chronic medical condition, um, there is no need to stop them. In fact, you know, People should not stop any of their regular medications without discussing with their GP because there's a lot of fake news going out there. Again, the other thing, people are, are ringing up, but they're asking to get a stock of steroids, antibiotics and Plaquenil because they think if they get symptoms, they should take these to try to prevent themselves getting a worse Yes, I gather there have been a Russian aug augmentant, for example, in the last 10 yeah, days. Yeah, and that, that's just not true. Um, uh, so, so we really, uh, you know, we don't want people stockpiling drugs, which could cause harm in themselves. The augmenting is a slightly different issue. We do have a real problem with comoxiclave, which is marked as augmenting. We have extremely short supplies of this in, the, in this country. We only have about two months uh, for our hospital stocks. And um, in, in general practice where I work, uh, comoxiclave is not a first-line recommended treatment um, for um, a lot of the conditions we see. And in particular, it's actually not first line for pneumonia. Uh, there's, there, are, there, are, there are other alternatives, um, and we really need to try to preserve our co or augmentant stocks 
for use in the hospital. Um, so in the community, just to remind people, the vast majority of people who stay in the community who, who get who get this virus, they will recover by themselves. It'll be like the normal flu-type illness that goes around. They don't need to do anything other than stay at home and rest and fluids and practice self-isolation. They absolutely need to, put, to watch out for if they start to get short of breath, particularly it'll happen in the second week. And if they get short of breath, they need to talk to their doctor not to take medications. They need to talk to their GP. If it's out of hours, talk to an out of hours doctor. If it's an emergency situation and they really feel they've suddenly become extremely short of breath, they need to um, uh, uh, dial 999. Um, Do not try to take any of these remedies that are going around um, on social media. Um, this is where the decision needs to be made. Do you go, need to go to hospital? And in hospital, it's predominantly oxygen and fluids that people are being treated with. There are some other medications. Mary might want to go into those, but they are for hospital treatment only. Mary, can you take us through this in as much as we can on air? Because for people who are sure. going to get the virus, and there are going to be a lot of them, it's the prospect of getting ill that frightens them. At least if they had some understanding of what will happen to them when they go to hospital, it might allay their fear somewhat. So just to reassure everybody who's listening, the hospitals throughout the country have been preparing for this since January. There are pathways um, into which when you come into a hospital, how you're assessed and where you go to. Fortunately, the majority of those that need to be admitted to hospital do not end up in the intensive care unit. But those intensive care facilities are available and the intensive care doctors, infectious disease and respiratory doctors are all there trained up to deal with you in the event that that happens. At the moment, the way... uh, a patient is treated within hospital is what we call supportive care. Because we don't have any specific medications or indeed vaccines uh, for this virus, supportive care means oxygen, fluids, um, ventilator support, um, uh, in other words, a, a machine to keep your breathing going if that is required. The frontline doctors are all who are consultants and our trainees are along with our nursing colleagues are, are um, skilled in ensuring that they monitor people closely and if they require additional support for their lungs, they will get it. This virus particularly uh, you know affects the lungs and ca- can cause lung failure, and that's why you need that support. So the What's main difference between, we'll say, if they went to hospital with pneumonia under any other circumstances, there isn't a, a barrage of specific antibiotics, for example, that you can hit this virus with. That, that's absolutely correct. We do not have a drug that specifically targets this virus and prevents it from replicating. There are, and this is why it's very, and, and just, Uh, picking up on what Kingston said, it's really important that we do clinical trials because we need to make sure any drug that looks like it's promising, firstly, that it's safe to use, and secondly, that it, it works. And the only way of doing that is by clinical trials. And the universities within this um, country have been speaking and have, are getting involved in clinical trials so we can do the proper science around it. So there is no specific treatment 
for the virus, we do have treatment to support your lungs to keep them working. I'm going to change gear completely from the frightening scenario for many people of hospital to some of the uh, the more mundane issues outside of hospital. And we got a lot of questions about this actually the first time uh, we asked people to put in their questions was about animals, for example, and uh, their fear that they might pick it up um, from other animals, uh, particularly from household pets, many of whom are acting as as company for those who are in self-isolation. Uh, Kingston, can you put this to bed once for once and for all? There's no evidence that dogs pass it on, isn't that right? That's correct. I mean, uh, you know, coronaviruses can infect animals. In fact, this is thought to be the the origin of this current virus. It, it was thought to come from bats or from other species in the markets in in China. Um, but um, there's no evidence that it can, can that, that this particular virus can infect dogs. So you're unlikely to get it from your family pet. People asking, for example, about the use of a car or not, as the case may be. Um, asking that if you're referred for testing, many of the, the testing centres are, are, are drive-in centres. Um, if you don't have a car, how do you use one of these centres? Um, well, clearly, everybody's not going to ha- be, um, have to use those centres. There are other ways, and the, you know, I think, uh, I, and again, the, the, the medics might be able to answer this better than me, but I understand that there, the ambulances will come to the, um, the house of the people if the people cannot go to a, to, to a drive-in centre. Nula yes, and I Mary, a question. Answer, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yes. I, yeah, I could answer that actually. Um, so obviously, there's, there are a number of people, not just people without a car, but you have somebody who's a resident in a nursing home. Yes. You may have somebody with a, you know, with a severe disability who, you know, you know, driving to and being tested in a car just wouldn't be appropriate. So we do have a mechanism for that. So we have trained paramedics who will do a visit to to the home in in particular circumstances. Obviously, that that takes a lot more uh, time and a lot more. Uh, um, use of frontline personnel. So ideally, the, the reason with the drive-through te- test centres is that we can process a lot more people faster. Um, and by doing it, maybe it sort of odd to be doing it in the car. But obviously, then you don't risk contaminating and having to decontaminate rooms where testing of course, was yes. done. Yeah. Um, I'm 74 years of age. I'm a regular driver for a meals on wheels service. I'm in reasonable health, but should I continue driving and delivering? Um, I, I might take that one. I mean, I think uh, it's like the other, or, or, or a lot of the other scenarios here. Um, there's no reason why you, you shouldn't do that. But I think what you need to just think about when you go to the house, um, and if somebody knows that you're coming, what you can always do is you can leave the, um, the, the meal on the uh, uh, doorstep, ring the door, and then step back. Um, a couple of feet, make sure that somebody answers. So if you practice your social distancing there, again, there's no issue. Kingston or Mary, you might be able to answer this. Is it correct that many people who get coronavirus have a lack of a sense of taste or smell as a first or indeed an only symptom? Sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I, can, I can answer that. Again, this is in the context of this being a very new virus and new reports coming out, but there have been reports from Korea saying that about 30% of people lose their sense of smell and taste. That's similar to other viral infections that we see that happening. It's probably happened to most of the listeners. But it may be just um, something we might consider 
when uh, people present. But again, because it's evolving, these reports are just coming through now and Kingston may be able to add to that. So. Yeah, I mean, there, there were a few reports suggesting that uh, people were actually losing the sense of sm- smell and taste before they had other symptoms, um, which was remarkable. Um, and then on the scientific level, the explanation, potential explanation for that is that the olfactory bulb, which is an area that lies just above your, your nose going into the brain, it, it can get infected with viruses. And it is possible that the virus is going into that area and, and temporarily affecting the nerves. So th- there is a scientific explanation for it, but it, it seems like it's, it's, it's a reversal. Um, effect and that people recover their sense of smell and taste when they recover. Kingston, to go back to almost where we started this discussion on Morning Ireland uh, and Nuala took the question, the World Health Organization has repeated its mantra of test, test and test. Somebody asking, why is this important if I suspect I have COVID-19 but I'm not very sick? Why, Why clog up the system? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is an issue, and that's why the clogging up the system, that's why the, the, the criteria were changed. I think people that had a, a sniffle or maybe a headache or, or, or a slight fever were, were asking to be tested when they had didn't have really the, the, the proper symptoms of COVID-19. The, the reasons or, or, they, or to be fair, are, they, were, are, they were often being told they needed a test, even though they were probably very reluctant to go and do it themselves. I think there was also a lot of fear and people thought that they had some symptoms, they had it, and they, want, and, and they would relieve themselves by getting tested until they hadn't. But the trouble is now that they're going to wait, have to wait for several days over a week to get it, the result. Um, the reason the WHO have been um, saying test, test, test is that the, the best way of, 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 of containing it, um, uh, at least in the beginning of the, of the epidemic, was to identify everybody that was infected and everybody that was in contact with an, with an infected person. But the, the, when the number, that's fine when you've got small numbers, but when, when the numbers start mounting up, it gets very, very difficult to do that because, it, first of all, it's just overpowers the system. And the, 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 the test that's done, this PCR test, is quite complicated. It takes 24 hours, uh, um, thereabouts, between extracting the, 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 the DNA from the RNA from the, the sample, running it on this PCR machine, which is a run of about four or five hours, and then reporting it. So it's quite complex. Now, there is this antibody test which has been developed, which can be done in 10 minutes. The problem with it is that it will only detect um, um, the infection once an antibody response is generated. And that doesn't happen um, until maybe five to seven days into the infection. The real um, benefit of this test, and they're now introducing it in the UK, is that it will allow um, us to identify in particular healthcare workers who have been infected and now have antibodies and have recovered so they can go back to work safely knowing that um, they have uh, now got an antibody response against the virus which you know the, the animal studies are telling us that an antibody response is probably protective so that is very good news and I think what's going to happen what's already happening in some countries is this assay has been introduced it takes 10 minutes this assay on one tiny prick of blood, uh, 10 centimetres of blood, 10, 10 microliters of blood, um, a, a, a pinprick of blood on a, on a, just on a strip, which, which, which it's, it's like doing a pregnancy test. So it, it is, I think, going to be an additional um, weapon in terms of not early detection, but in terms of detecting people who had it and then can safely return to work. Kingston Mills. 
Professor Mary Horgan, Dr. Nuala O'Connor, thank you all very much for staying with us this morning. Um, you, lots of you sent in your questions and we're very grateful uh, to you uh, for your time this morning and answering those questions. We had so many we could have spent all day on this and we will offer another opportunity to listeners to have their, their questions answered uh, on another Morning Ireland and a Morning Ireland Extra podcast. Uh, Gar Duffy was on sound this morning and Lisa Pereira was our editor. And by the way, for anybody who often listens to this programme wonders, what the banging noise is. It's sometimes our keyboards on the table, but this morning, because I'm broadcasting from home, if you did hear some extra noise in the background, it's the other members of my household who are doing uh, a live YouTube PE class with um, with Joe from ITV at the moment. So that was the extra noise that you were hearing this morning, not the keyboard. Thank you all very much for listening. I'll talk to you morning, Aaron, tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this edition of Morning Ireland Extra. You can listen to Morning Ireland every morning on rte.ie forward slash radio from 7am and get more like this on the Morning Ireland Extra podcast available at rte.ie forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.